Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 212 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing the biggest storylines from UFC Orlando, James Krause being effectively excommunicado from the UFC, Conor McGregor's settlement with Michael Chiesa, and more. But first, I need to know if you were as happy as I was that we actually got a corner stoppage last night. I, well, yes and no. Uh, Yes, I was happy it happened. Uh, I I just wasn't like ecstatic, like, yes, over the moon about it. I think I might be conditioned to seeing worse beatings being affected for longer periods of time. To the point where I'm like, yeah, that was good. That was probably, yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, this, this was what had to happen. But I don't know. I, I guess I was, I was more like uh, mildly surprised than anything else. Hmm. It, even though we found out that Kevin Holland broke his hand in the first round. Yeah. Even though, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know what kind of um, mentality his corner kind of came into this going with, but they did the right thing in the end. So, I mean, that is still a net win. Yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. So we are going to start off our day by breaking down some of the fights that we watched last night. And top to bottom, it was a pretty good card. There were a few snoozers in the middle, but it, it didn't overtake the card. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't start from the beginning, although I did go back and watch the three fights that I missed in the beginning because I came in on the Jonathan Pierce-Darren Elkins fight. Mm. But boy, oh boy, Yasmin Warigi. Jesus, that girl is the real deal. And I told you, I told you last when, when right before the event, I said that that opening fight, it's going to be a banger. It, it could be a good one. And there we go. Yeah, look at was... that. Victor Damas once again. That's that was man. If, if this is if only my bets look this good. You see how this happens? You I'm second, only right when it's bad things. You second guess yourself sometimes too. So this is true though. But that's that's what happens, you know. That Catholic upbringing, those insecurities. That's a <laughs> that's a fun thing, you know. But no, uh, it, it's uh, that was that was a hell of a fight. That was that was one of those things where you kind of wish, like, if this was a pay per view, you know. They, well, I don't know if they still do that for pay per views anymore. But they'll have an earlier fight in the card, usually something that ended in a finish, and they'll add that to part of the actual pay per view package. Um, that would be the kind of fight that I would choose for that, you know, and, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was dope. We could also choose the next fight. Francis Marshall really putting an exclamation point on his UFC debut by just starching Marcelo Rojo. My goodness. Yeah. I never seen anybody do that at all like that. Mm-hmm. That was nuts. Yeah. That was a good fight. I'm looking forward to seeing what more he has to bring to the table. Um, Natan Levy defeated Gennaro Valdez and he should have because Gennaro Valdez, I believe had like a 16 and nine record or something like that. And then he called out Kanye West. What'd you think of all that? Uh, Okay. So Bill Algio, 
earlier in the year called out Joe Biden. This is probably a little less bad, but still kind of embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's like, I, I, I get it. I understand the sentiment behind it. I mean, it's like he's not going to pay attention to you. This isn't going to draw the kind of sometimes we'll get lucky, like the Miley Cyrus call out with um, uh, Marquez. You remember that? Yes. Yeah, that you, you'll, you'll get lucky where you, you'll just hit a lick and wow, this person called out somebody famous. And now there's like a bit of chatter around it. And oh, the famous person has now uh, responded. Oh, this is that you, you don't want to do that. This is not after what the kind of week that um, that West has had between the appearances on Tim Pool's show and Alex Jones's show and all the other stuff. I've been following this really, really closely. Buddy, he's not listening to anybody. He's not paying attention to anybody by the likes, not the likes of you. The only person he's listening to right now is Ray J. And that tells that says so much right there. <laughs> I saw that uh, him and Milo y- y- Yiannopoulos, however you say his last name, I hate to butcher anybody's name, yeah. even if they are a disgusting piece of shit. But... Um, they parted ways and it was said by Milo that it was mutual. Mm. So Milo thought he was too much and Kanye didn't think he was enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, Milo's got a history of being a liar and I'm not, I don't want to get too dragged down into this, but he has been such a horrible person for Mm -hmm. so long. Seeing him try to get a taste of mainstream attention yet again, after being on what is essentially the equivalent of Catholic QVC selling trinkets and chotskas. And now he gets to go back to that. So that's cute. That's good. You know, seeing the gravy train end for him is, is fun to me because there are people that deserve endless humiliation and he is absolutely one of them. Yes, he is for sure. Now we get to Jonathan Pierce absolutely destroying Darren Elkins over three rounds. Darren Elkins, please retire. Don't go to Bare Knuckle FC. Don't go to Bellator. I realize you love the violence and you love to show everybody how much you can bleed, but we really would like to see you ride off into the sunset and maybe enjoy your family while you still have all of your wits about you. But this path that you're on is not going to ensure that if you keep going. You know, we have, we have situations where there are people within the community that have long said stuff like, well, we, we are not the ones who should be telling fighters when to retire because they're adults and they need to know how to make their own decisions and we shouldn't infantilize them and all that. To which I say, yeah, I get it, but no, just no. I mean, this, this isn't even a matter of can he hang with top guys? It's should he be doing this Mm -hmm. to himself and putting himself and his family through this? I don't, uh, this is not a good for anyone. Sometimes the UFC needs to save fighters from themselves. Case, yeah, but then, case in point, Chuck Liddell. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. But they don't like, do that anymore. They really if, don't. They're willing to just sacrifice someone to the gods. I'm thinking Marlon Moraes. I'm thinking Tony Ferguson. All the ones that were on these incredible losing streaks that they just keep booking Sam Alvey because they will squeeze every drop of blood out of you before they throw you into the wood chipper. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. Then at one point, at what point does this become like a legal thing? This is happening in a situation where we are looking at someone that should stop. But what about when they end up having uh, contract disputes with people that 
have no real reason to be on the shelf. You know what I mean? Like it, that you, you can't trust them to do the right thing in this situation. Nope, not ever. Now we're going to get to another one. See, last night had a theme and it was not the glue factory that we thought it was going to be. The theme was team old guy winning. Mm. And we're going to start here with Michael Johnson getting the win over Mark Diakizzi. And boy, Mark Diakizzi's face when they announce the decision, he comes in there when they're ready, when they're, they're ready to read the decision and he's bouncing and he's beaming from ear to ear. He feels like he turned in a really solid performance. And to his credit, I think he did. And then they read the decision and the way his face fell, my goodness, <laughs> I hope they keep him around. Uh, Zane pointed out last night on the sixth round post-fight show that He's coming off of two wins, but they were grindy, slow slogs to watch. And then he loses this fight. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to see a guy like that get cut. Yeah, and there was a lot of hype for this guy. Very justified hype for him coming in. And uh, this was, you know, when he made his UFC debut and all that, when he was signed um it, it it's a shame, but these are how this is. This is not, not everybody has the kind of run that they would hope for. I mean, this isn't the kind of guy that I don't think it's unrealistic for him to be released and then brought back at some point. Um, I I don't know that that's entirely likely, considering he's a lightweight and I presume he's in his thirties at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I I don't know that they have much need for a guy like him right now. I don't know what kind of improvements and adjustments he'd need to make that would make the that would make management say, yeah, you know what, let's roll the dice on this guy one more time. I don't really I don't see think it. They do because what happened was is he came in with all this hype because of his big heavy hands. Yeah. And he got a couple of big heavy finishes. He started taking losses and he got scared of being cut. So he started fighting very carefully. And now we have careful Diakizi, who's not winning split decisions with old guys named Michael Johnson. Well, I mean, it might not even be that. It might but, just but, be that like his his um he might not even consciously um oh his whole fight style changed once he's took right. a couple of losses but how much of that is your environment and your coaches and your crew and like I just experience think... making you do like remember what we, you saw how that worked for Overeem, for example or how it's worked for arlovsky to a degree right i mean these are guys that were getting knocked out left and right and then suddenly they got a quiet little run going and then they just start winning fights because they fight somewhat differently shogun Shogun's another guy who had a, a, a sort of this again another funky uh, uh, winning streak that was totally unexpected late in his career because he changed tactics and maybe, again it, it could be but, just the crew around you yeah. um, but, making but, you more complete but now your action potential suffers in the process. But in that completion, let me just read the, the losses though. Drakkar close split decision. Mm-hmm. Nasrat Hakparas unanimous decision. Rafael Fizio. Unanimous decision. Then we get to the finishes, of which there's only two that I'm seeing here. Rafael Alves got a guillotine on him, and Dan Hooker got a guillotine on him. So he's the ones that he's losing are mainly decisions. He's he's got the two guillotines, um, one in round three, one in round one, but they were kind of far back. I mean, what he's 
with the exception of Alves. Alves was uh, a year ago. I just feel like maybe he's kind of stagnated and taken some steps back because his whole fight style changed when he started taking losses. I mean, it was specifically that three-fight losing run of Drakkar Close, Dan Hooker, and Nazra Akbaras. When that happened, it just seemed like he turtled up and he fights super careful now. And that's not beneficial to him because they have that endless, endless road revolving door of fighters coming from the um, Dana White's Contender Series. Especially the so lightweight. Yeah, he's super replaceable right now, unfortunately. And- yeah, and yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It could be. It could be. It could be a, a combination of all these things. But I don't uh, want to see yeah. him get cut. Because it seems to me like he's making some strides, but you know you've got your Michael Johnsons out there fighting from con- from from fight to fight to make sure that they stay in because they're old guys. Yeah, you know. So I don't know. I just hope that Diakizi gets another shot. That's all. Yeah, same. I, I really hope he sticks around and that you know he's able to. Um, I don't know. Just just turn things around to a degree. I, it would be nice to see him. Um, just do well, I guess. Yeah, my bleeding heart for for some of these fighters that have been around for a while and they hit a rough spot and then they're trying to come back and they get a couple of wins together and then they hit the bump again and I always worry for them. They, they're mm-hmm. trying so hard. So, anyways. Yeah. Clay Guida, team old guy again, getting the split over another old guy in Scott Holtzman. And one would have thought that it would be Clay Guida retiring, but nope, it was Scott Holtzman. And good for him, I guess. I saw he was, there was pictures of him with his kid at uh, one of the press events and all that. Yeah, it's, it's when somebody shows up with their kid and they retire. It's like, yeah, this is, this is fine. This is good. I don't see him ending up like, uh, like Frankie Edgar. You know, getting getting busted up, getting put away in front of his kids like that. That that shit can't be good for anybody. And and after a while, man, look, if he's got avenues, if he's got other things and and, and he can focus his energy elsewhere and, and hopefully not have to come back as we know that MMA retirements are not always they're, – they're very rarely uh, permanent. Um, yeah, then good. Good for him if he's able to make that stick because this, this, is, this shit is unforgiving. So what did you think of Clay Guida's hair? Uh, he really does look like a carpenter now. <laughs> he really does. He looks like a, you know, he almost looked like a union pipe fitter, really, with his, especially with his little, uh, his little bit missing up top in the back. So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, that's, that's good. I mean, that looks like somebody that I could look at and say, that's a union guy right there. And I respect that. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to get to Angela Hill. Looking sharp, sharp, sharp against Emily Ducote. I mean, that was a stellar performance from her, in my opinion. That was a really bad matchup for Emily. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't like it when it was announced. I didn't think that was a good idea in any way. And well, we saw that. So I mean, good for Hill, but I mean, it just doesn't do doesn't do Emily any favors, really. Uh, and it just, doesn't uh, advance Hill very much either. Because no, Dakota, yes. Dakota is nowhere in the rankings. Precisely. All right, another upset. Philip Rowe taking out Nico Price in Oof. round three. Wow, 
Were you expecting it? Because the Nico Price was the favorite going in. I yeah okay he might have been the favorite and all, but it was I mean very slight on one of the lines that I saw, and then after that I didn't see any more lines. But you know what the problem is that he's so shop worn and so unpredictable, mm-hmm. and I've seen Roe fight for a bit. So I expected that this was not going to be easy for uh, Nico. What I didn't expect was that Roe was going to forget his height and reach advantage until later on in the fight. And then once he starts doing that, it's like, oh, once he nailed him, maybe those that that there was there was a, a one two that he hit at some point that was just like, mm-hmm, yep, that's the one you see. You see Nico's body just change because he was he was spent by round three. Mm-hmm. He was landing and they showed the uh, differential and strikes. Uh, I, I think he was. I think Roe was being outstruck two to one or three to one or close to it, and it didn't matter because the strikes that really counted the most were the ones that he landed to put this thing away, and he slammed that motherfucker shut. That was that was brutal. Yep. You know what else was brutal? Eric Anders getting the KO in round two over Kyle Dokhouse. Yeah, I felt so bad for Kyle, man. Uh, the, the physicality and the timing and, and everything, it just proved to be too much. You know, dude just found a way to get in his face and, and, and land the damage that he needed. And there were no real um, – there was no real penalty being paid by Anders. He was just taking it off for free. Yeah. And, yeah, that was just that, – that's that's a shame. You know, you, you want to see these guys at least be competitive, and that just did not happen in this case. So tough break for Kyle, man. Roman Delize landed something that I've never quite seen before. That calf slicer, the way that he transitioned, where he was landing all the punches from the back. My God. I think I would have paid him to get the fuck off my legs. (laughs) That looked insanely painful. How do you get out of that pain? You do exactly what you do exactly what happened there. No, no. I mean, like if you're in practice, you're in training and somebody puts a calf slicer on you in that same position where you're totally wrapped up like that. How do you actually extricate your legs pain free? I don't think you could there. Look at it. I mean, the still of that image. I mean, the still of of that sequence. There's a still where their legs are just squished squished and bent and pretzeled and my goodness talk about a spider web god dang that was brutal that's a miserable place to be it definitely wasn't uh wasn't fun for him i know that much delete needs to step up again i think the guy is on a roll and he's learning quickly from fight to fight and he has good grappling there's no two ways about it He's got big hands. He's not quite as technical as most of the guys up top. Um, But with the way he's making advances in his game, I have no doubt that in a year he'll be striking like like a technical boxer. Well, maybe. I I think that you made an observation as far as, you know, he needs another step up. Yeah, I, I think he's being brought along appropriately um, properly yeah. yes exactly I, I think that this is this is fine i was worried that this might maybe be a little too much but no um turns out he was more than capable of hanging there i just don't i i wonder who you pair him up with next um not sure what name you you put in front of him exactly because uh, this was this was a great test and he managed to pass it with flying colors in in some respects 
uh, worry about what his technique looks like with his striking. I mean, most of the top guys now past him now or they're ahead of him at this point are strikers uh how does he do against Costa, for example i think that's probably the biggest um question here cannoneer would would he would he be able to weather that storm and and do what he did against Hermanson there i don't i don't know that he's going to get away with some of the stuff that he's got there especially with some of the uh gaps that we've seen especially defensively um i'm curious about that i think cannoneer might be a step up too quickly but what do you think about brendan allen Especially since he's coming off a loss, I don't think Brandon. I, I don't think Brendan Allen is is a step up right now. I think that's more of a lateral move. Really? Because Brendan yeah. has only taken the one loss, right? He was- yeah, but I mean, when you fight a guy like Hermanson, who was like so close to getting a title shot, you know, um, I kind of look. I kind of think that that Hermanson is. I look at him as one of those guys that's not quite elite, but he's like right there. Whereas Allen is oh, probably not quite there yet. I, I take it back. He's not. He, he wasn't uh, undefeated before then. No, I, I'm, no, I'm thinking of so, someone else. But I, I kind of like Brendan Allen though. He's got wins over Yako Malcoon. Good mm. lord, he's got a win over Jacob Malcoon from June. That's yeah. a good, good win. That's he's a got great a win, win over Puna Soriano, Carl Roberson, Kyle mm-hmm. Dolkhouse. Yeah. Tom Breeze, Kevin Holland. Yes, this is the fight I want. I want Brendan Allen and Roman Delizia. That's not a lateral move at all. That's actually maybe a, a little bit step up. And he's on a four fight, uh, three fight win streak too. Mm, no, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I still like don't look at that as like, a, if it is a step up, I don't think it's a big step up. And I, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I I just there's not a whole lot of choice at no. middleweight, unfortunately, right. and you can't give them a Marvin Vittori or a Cannoneer. That's too far up. But, yeah, and those guys are booked too. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then you have Till, who's booked next week. So, kind of <laughs> well, difficult to. And Strickland is also booked, so it's kind of difficult to to be able to navigate middleweight and find a fight for him. That's that's beneficial and the only one i can see without pulling up all the rankings i could do that you know after a while but without pulling up the rankings that's the name that sticks out to me just right now Mm, okay all right so we're gonna get to let's see here where are we sergey pavlovich my goodness okay couple of things here first of all the guy when he's he looks like an angel he doesn't he doesn't have the face of the killer that he is. And boy, it's like a switch flips with him. He's the nicest guy, but he has no problem with, you know, the finishing instinct because he went in there and was not to be stopped. I mean, good lord, that was so brutal. Extremely brutal. Victor, help me out here. Give me some more adjectives besides brutal. I just felt bad. I mean, <laughs> Ty did not have any answers Mm-mm. for Pavlovich. And dude came in. I mean, his form looked amazing. The way he planted his feet when he was pulling those shots in and, and, and just uh, going and landing things. Like, oof, man. And it's it's funny because he does look like he could be – he could play like a lovable goof in a, in an action movie and then suddenly it's like oh that's that that dude is, is that dude's a problem damn you know the one of the things 
is that he's got this very disarming smile. I don't know if you watched Game of Thrones, but Hodor was this big, strong, hulking dude, but he was super, super yeah. sweet. I saw him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I had flashes of Hodor there. But mm-hmm. someone hit me up and said, you know, he looks like a super Jack Mick Schumacher, who is the son of <sighs> one of the greatest racers of all time. But he does look like a super Jack Mick Schumacher. The other thing that I thought of was when they were shopping around for the Jack Reacher role to do the series, they settled on the perfect guy. But if they hadn't settled on him, if you were going specifically off the look, he Mm -hmm. would be the perfect Jack Reacher. If anyone out there besides me has actually read the books, which I hope if some of you have, you'll understand what I'm saying. He's the perfect Jack Reacher. Just custom cut. If if he were to step out of the pages, it would be Sergei Pavlovich, for sure. Mm. Now, I want to ask you one thing. Who are you pairing up Sergei Pavlovich with? Because I'm pairing him with Cyril Gaon, like, tomorrow. It might have to be him, right? I mean, just looking at the way this was set up in terms of the um, the the matchup opportunity, um based purely off the rankings it might have to be mm. surreal gun i don't know what other person you can slot in there because if you look at how uh gun is sitting at number one tuvas is number four the only other two choices there are miocic and blades who well blades i don't believe he's booked for anything right now and um stipe they're doing that will they won't they with john jones mm. i mean if he ever gets to fight at heavyweight which i don't even know uh at this point so that might be it might, if it's not blades it might be gone and i'm okay with either one of those choices because francis is out of commission for a little bit due to his medical uh situation right his recent surgery um that's not a bad idea actually either one of those options seems more than suitable to me he's earned it and we would get to see two things, how Cyril Gaon deals with a, a force of nature like that, because he didn't get to deal with that with Francis, because remember, Francis's leg was already jacked. And so Francis out-wrestled him basically the entire fight. This guy's not going to wrestle him. This guy's going to come for blood the same exact way, just super quick, like a bullet out of a gun as soon as he hits the ca- the, the cage door closes and the, the ref says go he's gonna be like a shot bang and i want to see how gone reacts to him and i want to see how he reacts to gone's very methodical way of fighting and smart way of fighting i want to see that i mean i think that's the most interesting match to make right now I'm curious if that's what Pavlovich should do. I'm curious if he's really going to be just like from the from the word go, just get in his face and start crowding him I and like it. really I putting it on so him bad. like that. I, that would be interesting because I don't know that we've we haven't nobody's done it yet because everybody right. has been kept at distance at range because he's so good at establishing it right from the jump. But yeah, Pavlovich is so good at just immediately leaping on you and biting your neck. That I think that that will be so. I I wonder what the lines would look like. I wouldn't know how to make a line on that one. Mm, Connor, would you make the favorite there? I don't know. Mm. I I assume it would be gone slightly, but I would put my money on Pavlovich. I really would. 
I don't yeah, know. I just think it's after confusing. after that kind of performance, like this is what you end up happening, right? You end up with that aura of like, oh my god, this guy now he's turning into this demolisher. Mm-hmm. What is next for him? And that's where he kind of like sometimes it's a bit of a trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I don't, I don't think we're on that though. I don't think that's the case in this one. Like, shit, this guy might. He might really be that dude, you know? He really might be... Um, Fedor 2.0. Well, I I wouldn't even go that far necessarily. I mean, that is possible. Uh, whether or not that's likely is another question. But, I mean, shit, he's he's looking great. And um, I, I, I want to see more. I want to see how he... What kind of improvements he makes from here on in. Indeed. I don't see that he needs to make a whole lot, though. But, again... He might not. A, You're right. We had a very small window to look at what he's doing 54 seconds you know and he all of his fights are are being finished so fast that you know we we don't have a whole lot to go on but i am ready i've mm. i'm willing to go back further in his catalog before the ufc too i mean the dude is awesome all right mm. next up this is where mookie went south he picked Matchnell, and when I was uh, announcing our picks, I mistakenly announced him as having picked Mateus uh, Nicolau, but he did not. He did pick Matchnell, and to his detriment, he ended up in last because of that pick. So Nicolau did not allow Schnell to to get that second win, that comeback that he had in the fight with Sumaderji. He was not having it. He was making sure that he finished this man well and truly, and he did. Victor, what did you think of it? I I figured that Nicolau would have more of an all-around type of game. I didn't think he was going to push Schnell away like that. And and here's the thing, like we saw the how against like we mentioned the fight against Murder G back in the when we previewed this. And um we saw how he was dropped and, and how Chanel was like, yeah, he was able to bounce back, but he had to eat it for a good while before he was able to do some stuff. And, and his deficiency standing didn't seem like they had improved by much. And that's what we got here. It's just open and shut case. Chanel, sensational grappler, uh, serviceable striker, but he's oh, he's going to struggle against guys like this. Mm-hmm. And um this was the one that he didn't get back up from. Yeah. You know, what we saw in his previous outing, that's that's one thing. But I, like I always say, how many of those you got in you? The other you know, thing. I think that I think that even though he won his last fight prior to this one, I, I don't think he's uh, I don't think him banking on his chin is going to be feasible at all anymore. I think that's the one where he finally like, OK, this this is it. Yeah, because the the last fight with, with Sumaderji. The thing is, is you can always tell the difference in power by how well they take certain things. Sumaderji beat his ass for a good round and a half, round and three quarters before he made that comeback. That was not the case with Mateos Nicolau. He could not recover. Mateos hits a lot harder. Sumaderji put such an ass whooping on him, but you got to wonder how hard those punches actually were. Sure, he got marked up a little bit, but you know what? After a, a, an arduous weight cut and only having a 24-hour period to rehydrate, you're still going to cut easy because you're still kind of stretched out a little bit. So I am of the mind that Mateus Nicolau probably hits a good a good bit harder than Sumaderji does because there was no recovery in the cards for Matchnell this time. 
I mean, it's either that or or Sumaderji, uh, uh, you know, just totally tapped out his chin reserves and now it's, yeah, he's compromised it for good. Could very well be that, too, that maybe he uh, depleted the chin enough to where now there's a giant crater in it that anybody that touches it is going to be able to put him down. Mm. All right. Rafael Dos Anjos, team old guy again. I liked this fight a lot. I do see that it's taken... I feel like if this fight had happened five years ago, six years ago, he would have put Brian Barbarino away in the first round. But it did take him to the third round. Now, Barbarino's huge. No denying. Yes. He's a big, big farm strength boy, as Victor would say. Mm-hmm. Lots of farm strength. So, so maybe that had something to do with it. But I tend to think that, you know... Advancing age also feeds into this a little bit too. Now, Hoffa has said that he is moving up to 170 permanently. He's not going back down. Mm. And I, while I like that, there's some big boys at 170 that are constantly going to threaten his place in space. And I've made peace with that already. I mean, there's some guys you don't have to like. I kind of guessed that the, he would be done with lightweight for a while. And it's just a matter of age, man. This dude's been fighting since, well, like 2005 or something, mm-hmm. 2006. I mean, he was he fought for pride, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's how long ago it's been. Um, what can you ask of a guy like that? He's already still out there being able not only to hang with top dudes, but really being able to impress in his performances. And Barbarina maybe might not be the uh, one of the top guys at welterweight, but you would expect that maybe, you know, the old guy might have lost a little something on his fastball. No, turns out he hadn't. He was still quite as crisp and his movement was still good. He's still spry. He, he managed to get the fight where he needed to get it on the ground. And he wasn't afraid to keep it standing. If it was just going to remain a duel on the feet for the entirety of the three rounds, I don't think he would have, uh, I don't think he would have fared any worse to be yeah. fair, to be honest. So, um, I was cool with that. And you notice something. We're noticing here that there is – we've mentioned the theme being team old guy and all that. Mm-hmm. But that being said, uh, it's still the, the the consistent thing of the older guys having more weapons than the younger dogs. Yeah. You know, at least in, in the cases of the wins because, you know, we, we can't really say that about the um, – we can't really say that about like the Darren Elkins fight or anything like yeah. he was much more limited than Pierce in that in that display, right? We see that with Nico Price again, and someone who was severely far more limited than Roe. But in this case, nah, man, it, it, this was um, this was the story, you know. This was uh, what was going to happen, and that's kind of what ends up happening in MMA. You can you might get older, and as they say, power might be the last thing to leave, but you still might have other attributes to lean on. And this is where veteran savvy really got a chance to shine. So I'm glad that we got to see that as a consistent thing throughout the night. I also tend to feel like Hoffa's porn stash had a lot to do with it. I feel like it gave it lended the Samson effect to him. I don't know, man. I, I feel like the uh, the night was actually I think that was sort of bucking against the, the trend in a way, because it's like <laughs> we had really unfortunate facial hair throughout the night. You know, Dow Cows, who was was the other one? Somebody else had a mustache that looked kind of goofy. And I just sat there thinking like, no, Nico Price had a, he had a, like a, like, you know, he looked like a, I don't know, like a construction worker in a British 70s movie that commits some horrible crime. It just, it didn't, no, that wasn't working out. (laughs) All right. Then we get to the main event and boy, 
What a fight. I mean to tell you, that was that was a bonkers fight. I know that Kevin Holland messed up his hand in the first round, broke his hand, whatever. But we've seen guys fight through adversity and he managed to do it until the fourth round. I was really happy to see his corner throw in the towel, though. Uh, it, it could have even been stopped a little sooner because there towards the end, Steven was just using him for target practice. And it was starting to get a little worrisome, especially those high kicks to the head. My goodness. Steven Thompson still throws those things with a lot, a lot of intention. And that is not good intention. Well, here's my problem with this. I mean, I understand that that Holland had his his hand injury, and I I respect that, and my 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 sympathies go out to him for that. Having to continue in a situation like that is not easy. So I I don't I don't want to be too harsh here, but it doesn't explain his defense. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't explain how Thompson was able to just get in just just whenever he wanted it as the fight went on. It was just like more and more at will of him just darting in and landing those shots. You know what I'm saying? He was really able to fluster Holland on a lot of that. So sure, his offense was compromised, but he, his head movement shouldn't have been compromised at that point, should it? I mean, his, his lateral movement shouldn't have been something that was... Um, taken away by a hand injury. So I'm a little curious as to what happened there. Was this a was this a matter of an injury plus bad tactics or perhaps um not preparing as adequately as you might have thought for someone like him because this was rare form for Thompson we should add. You know, he was far more aggressive here than he's shown in a lot of his more recent um performances. I I th- I was pleasantly surprised with it. I was happy to see it happen and and he certainly looked like a world beater yet again. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Holland didn't seem to have many answers either. It was more like he just came in there to box and the other guy went in there to do movie karate. And well, holy shit, we had a good night for movie karate, didn't we? I don't, don't get to see that very often. He said movie karate. <laughs> That's right. And you know the funny thing is? If you're old enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about, no, I'm talking about goddamn movie karate. You know exactly what that means. All right, so what do we have on tap next? What we have on tap is a, well, something that I felt probably should have gotten more attention, and yet somehow has not. And it has to do yet again with the one and only Conor McGregor, namely his legal woes and how some of that has been put to rest, I guess, sort of. It turns out he was being sued by Michael Chiesa due to the attack where, as Khabib put it, Connor broke bus. Uh, we remember the Dolly incident at the uh, presser event and all that and how uh, certain people were injured. Chiesa, chief among them. And actually, it was kind of funny seeing him at the event last night there with his mom. That was that was kind of a tender moment, but I digress. Uh Chiesa had been suing McGregor for different charges, including, and I quote, negligence, negligent infliction of emotional distress, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and assault and battery. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was part of the whole deal. He had mentioned previously that this had been something that had set him back in his career. He was set to uh, take on another matchup, and this had, in fact, uh, impeded his chances to prepare for a, uh, an upcoming opportunity that he felt could have netted him more money, or at least a further degree of advancement within the ranks. 
Now we have something different. Uh, we have some form of resolution here in which uh, McGregor has now, or at least him and his legal team, have uh, agreed not to proceed with the lawsuit. It cannot be refiled in the future, which means this is a lock. A settlement has been reached, but no terms and no financial stats have been revealed. I don't know if maybe there might be some sort of provision for this to be kept confidential. So maybe we don't get to find out if, what, from Kiesa at least what uh, kind of uh, compensation he would be due as a result. Um, I would imagine the McGregor's legal team might want to at least attempt a provision of that sort, but that's purely speculatory on my behalf. And you have to remember there were more people on that bus that were injured as well. We remember Rose Namajunas being traumatized from the incident and uh you know there there was there was a bit more that ray borg i believe he had the was did he have a bit of glass in his eye from a result of that i think yes so yeah i was trying to remember if it was him or, or, or somebody else so yeah i mean i'm glad i'm right sad that it was you know who it was once again i hate being right um Maybe we might see more movements ahead from those other parties in terms of legal action. That is yet to be determined. But what do you make of this, Steffi? The fact that, A, this got resolved in the manner in which it did, B, the secrecy surrounding it and whether or not that'll stick. And finally, do you think that more people that were involved in the incident will also be taking legal action as a result? I don't know how many could actually take legal action. I know that the injured parties were Kiesa, Borg, and I believe Rose Namajunas stated that she was in therapy because of how terrified she was during the incident. So I, if, if there were people coming forward, I would imagine it would be, you know, from that grouping there. And Kiesa obviously has already settled. I think they settle because... Connor doesn't want this to go to court because if it went to court, he would lose. The, yeah. He was caught on video doing that. The The window shattered. He, Kiesa went to the hospital. They pulled glass out of his freaking eye or whatever out of his face. Right, His was in his face and Borg's was in his eye. But the point I'm making here is there is irrefutable proof. I think also that the UFC would like to keep this a little bit hush-hush as well because it's a bad look that one of their fighters had to sue the other one because the other one was a complete idiot and still the UFC did nothing about that complete idiot, idiot move. They never uh, punished Connor. They never did anything. So mm -mm. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm glad Kiesa got his settlement. Good for him. I Hope the other two do do something similar because it, you know, it's kind of a fucked up situation if we're honest. You know what the worst thing is, and I know we've tried it on this ground before, so I don't want to like bog us down too much with this. But not only did McGregor not face any consequences professionally, at least from the UFC. He was rewarded. You could argue that he was given, yes. he was elevated with that, and that they continue to use, they continued to use the footage of that as promotional material. As if this were, like, a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like, wow, look at this beef. Like, not even, it's not even pretending that they were going to take any sort of action. It's just, like, no one expected for there to be any sort of consequences for it. And there weren't. So, yay, happy times. But I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's, this is something, I guess. You know, I, I don't even know if, like, I can't even get excited. There's no reason to be happy about this. Like, yes, something got done. 
something barely you know know, it just doesn't feel like nothing ever feels like it's going to be enough because of the way in which number one this happened so long ago and nothing was was really affected here but the the things that should have been done the steps that could have been taken were never taken so at least there was some avenue outside of that through the legal system that they could do that that kiesa could get something out of this indeed we're going to move on to the biggest story of the week of the year of the decade I mean, this story is, it's, someone said this is the Pete Rose of of MMA, and it really is. But one thing that we came to find out just in the last 48 hours is that James Krause is basically excommunicado right now. He has been suspended pending a multi-pronged government probe into the UFC's um, betting practices, Derek Minner was completely released. Now, the UFC published the following statement. Following the fight involving Derek Minner on November 5th, UFC was informed by sources that suspicious betting patterns had been observed on the fight. In the weeks following the fight, UFC has been cooperating with multiple ongoing government investigations into the facts and circumstances surrounding the contest. On November 18, the Nevada State Athletic Commission informed UFC and Minner's coach, James Krause, that Krause's license was suspended and would remain so while INSAC conducted an investigation into the matter. UFC has since advised Krause and the respective managers working with impacted fighters that effective immediately... Fighters who choose to continue to be coached by Kraus or who continue to train in his gym will not be permitted to participate in UFC events pending the outcome of the aforementioned government investigations. Further, UFC has released Derek Minner from the organization. Now, there's some more stuff going on, uh, you know, in that statement, but I'm not going to read the rest. The most pertinent part of it is in that what I just read. And that is that anybody that is basically in James Krause's breathing space will not be able to fight on any card. Now, Marcelo Rojo got an exception last night because he is one of James Krause's team. And when he lost last night, the very first thing that jumped into my head was, oh my God, I wonder what the lines look like. This is the match to the gasoline right here are the watchdog organizations. They had not come down with such force. And it's not just one. It's a couple of them. I believe there's two right now that are looking into the UFC. One that they work with already, but the other one is an independent one. So they're being investigated by the watchdog organizations. And then... You know, of course, INSAC has to get involved in other government institutions. So now we have a multi-pronged investigation. And this thing is not going away. They will make an example of James Krause for sure. And one of the people that's going to suffer from this is Brandon Marino. Because that's going to upset his camp. He trains. He literally moved into Missouri so that he could be closer to James Krause. And that sucks because he trains there. That's his coach. And he's in the middle of a camp getting ready to compete for that belt again. So what happens 
to poor Brandon Marino and all the other fighters that are on his roster. Well, Brandon Marino better go find uh, Sensei Steven Seagal or something. He, he is, better find. He way, better move down to Glendale Fight Club and get some head movement. By the way, he yeah. has he is doggedly supporting James Krause. I just as you should, out. as you should. I don't listen. I get it. I don't. I understand wanting to stand by your dude. I mean, I don't blame him at all for that. I understand what. Look, I, I can see where. And we've talked about this already, so this isn't like I'm not trying to like whitewash the dude's reputation here or his or the optics of it because this is largely what this has been mostly about. Um, the 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 whole situation is messy because even if in the in the very very low probability area of Kraus not doing anything wrong, it still looks like he might have had some kind of fucker in there, you know? So, like, I I look at this as, like, okay, I, I think it's a little severe, but I understand why it's happening, especially in terms of investigation. Um, we've mentioned Minner, not just the injury going in, but the way in which the action was moving in terms of the money line and the fact that he was fighting in a manner that was somewhat maybe not against type, but not advisable for somebody who was having the kind of injury that he had. And yeah, maybe it was against type because it wasn't really his style to be throwing that many kicks in a fight where he had a bum leg, but fine, let's leave that alone. Let's look at the matter that we have now. And that is that you have a bunch of guys that are out in the wilderness. I'm glad that they let Marcelo at least not be penalized because this came mighty close Mm -hmm. to the fight itself. That would have been asking maybe not the impossible but just the absolute worst you just you you you're throwing the guy to the wolves it's bad enough already and then on top of that he ends up suffering that loss which you know yeah, yeah it's, it's what it is um i should know marcelo used to be with alliance in san diego mm-hmm. so i mean yeah. he might if he you know I, I don't know what personal situation he might have if uh if they're willing to have him back it might be a good place for him to be but there's also options for a guy like him and there's options for guys like moreno i think there's a bunch of other gems that would be glad to have him there's just not too many options in the kansas city area where kraus lives and that's what the are the thing. other guys gonna do and that's the thing i mean moreno moved uprooted his family he moved I'm looking at this realistically, and I firmly believe, despite all the praise that we used to heap on James Krause, because his coaching does deserve praise, and his fighting was pretty damn good, too. But I'm not going to look at that through that lens anymore. I mean, realistically, there's probably, as Victor said, some fuckery going on here, and it's probably Mm -hmm. rooted in James Krause, no doubt. Also, there's a lot of people out there in the media space in the fan space, etc. But specifically in the media space, Adam Martin, I feel so bad for Adam Martin because he was not only a tout, but he also made made some of his bread and butter following his own gambling advice and he did very well. And so that took the legs right out from under him because not only did Toronto, Ontario completely outlaw any UFC betting whatsoever, Alberta followed suit two days later. So basically about 50% of Canada's population is no longer allowed to bet on UFC events. And that impacts the touts as well. If they, if some of their clientele, if a good swathe of their clientele is coming from Canada and they can't bet, 
You know, I mean, this impacted a lot more people than just the fighters and James. Okay, but here's my counterpoint. Okay, since when does Canada deserve good things? Oh, come on. Okay. Okay. See? You're mad because I'm right. That's the problem. That's right. Because, listen, my great crush in life outside of my husband is Kelsey KGB. Um, on on Twitter, and she is from Canada. And God damn it, nobody can mess with Canada because Kelsey lives in Canada. Yeah, well, I, I guess. I mean, if that's what we're doing, sure. But look, I, this <laughs> this thing with Krauss, man, and this is where I get like, I I, I just feel like that's, um, I I don't want to say that it's unfair, but it's like, man, they are coming down on this hard because like, yeah, yeah. whose money did they mess with on this? You know, we've seen so much chicanery and underhanded bullshit go on. And yet somehow this this is where we're drawing the line here because of the heat and the pressure that it's bringing on. And um, I just don't I just don't see where this really ends for anybody. I, I don't uh, is is this going to be a permanent thing? Is Kraus permanently to be a persona non grata? What organization will accept fighters that are trained under him? Well, it, it's all pending the investigation, and you never know. The investigation might shake yeah, out but, that nothing happened. But um, in the meantime, you got those local fighters that mm-hmm. can't. Maybe they can't afford to move. Maybe they're they're Thank still you. you know they're people that are they're lifers in that region. They have no intention. They've got families. They've got you know their whole lives invested in that area, and they can't just you know pick up their shit and go somewhere else. And not I got to wonder that, what happens to those guys in the, in the immediacy of this. Not only that, some of those guys went to Krauss and have experienced a great turnaround in their career. So now they're going to have to go and find another coach and hope that coach can give them the same results. And I'm not saying that James Krauss shouldn't be punished or this shouldn't be happening. I'm just saying that the fallout is immense. Immense. Yes. This story is probably the biggest story to ever happen to MMA. Let me let me propose this. Edmund Tarverdian <laughs> opens a satellite gym no, literally sir. right across the street from Glory, Glory Fitness. No. no reason whatsoever. Look, there's no there's no municipal mandate that says you can't build an MMA gym at a certain distance too close or too far from another MMA gym. You could have them like Starbucks in the 90s, literally right next to each other. No one cares. You can make it work. Listen. If you go to Philadelphia any given day, you wander around, you drive 10 blocks. You know how many Dunkin' Donuts spots you're going to find randomly within the proximity of each other? A lot. How many mattress shops do you see around each other? A lot. You could do something here. If you really want to make it happen, maybe, I'm just saying, maybe what the Midwest needs is a little bit of that Armenian spice infused, baby. That's all I'm trying to tell you. You might be able to make something happen. Or it, will James be sending his playbook along a, a wire across the street to, to You don't to need Edmund? a playbook when you don't need a playbook when you're coached by a guy who could have possibly hung with Jose Aldo. Okay? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. You are That's really, right. really gilding the lily today. <laughs> Everything is possible. It says so on his wall. So what have we next? Because I hear there's jail time. Jail time in the future. 
Jail time. That indeed. We are talking about the criminal justice system and Wonder Boy Thompson. Surprisingly enough, one of the most clean cut good guy figures of the game talked about what uh, had happened in his past. And it was cool because they did one of these things. It was like a face to face uh, thing between Holland and uh, Thompson prior to the fight. And they asked... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they asked Holland uh, what, what would be the chances of Thompson surviving in prison. He says, fuck yeah, he'd survive in prison. You might drop the soap a couple of times and make it by the night, but you'd be okay. And then Thompson said, oh, really? He says, well, I pray that I'll never go to jail. I spent a weekend one time. It was the worst. Just skinny dipping, man. They had cameras and we had no idea. There was girls involved. We ended up having to go to... They put cameras up because someone vandalized the pool the week before, so they were trying to get us. I was like, I'm never going back. Uh, never I, going for back. one, <laughs> would love to see what the mugshot looked like. And number two, would love a little bit more context as to what this whole thing with pools and girls and cameras and what the hell kind of situation. Because this sounds like a failed Spike TV reality show from, like, 2006. Um yeah, I, I this was surprising. Were you as taken aback by this as I was? Because yes. I'm glad that it wasn't. I was surprised, but then I saw what was going on. I'm like, okay, so it's not the worst thing. It's not like the sort of, you know, it's not like he was stealing a car and then he just like drove it into a lake or something, doing some teenage joyride stupidity, or that he attempted to rob a bank and we just never knew about it. Something where potentially someone could get hurt or there was major damage involved. Uh, it didn't seem like anything like that here. W- were you surprised at the nature of the case with this, aside from the arrest, and to what extent? Okay, I was surprised to hear he had been arrested, but when he said it was for skinny dipping, I had to laugh. Now, when you were talking about it could have been a lot worse, I am reminded of Alexander Gustafson, who when he was a teenager, I believe he was 16 or 17. Yeah. I mean, they they committed a a home invasion and they beat the and he had a separate charge uh, a a few months later for beating up someone at a club. So Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that you kind of hope you don't find in someone's past. Stephen Thompson, this is totally expected. Oh, I got arrested for skinny dipping when I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like precisely the kind of thing that a guy like that would get popped for. What got me though was the, I'm never going back. Dude, listen, Mm. my grandmother lives in South Carolina and not terribly far from where Stephen Thompson is from. So he's from a small, small place. I doubt that his little jail stint in county was anything that would warrant the, uh, I'm never going back. He made it sound like he did hard time, and that made me laugh so much. He made it sound like he was in like one of those old South Carolina prisons, like in the movie Life, which we reference constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and, like He was in there with like Bokeem Woodbine in that. He was like... in there with Jang Lang. <laughs> What is going on? Like, wait, what? You been, what? You got a red? Oh, okay. Well, it, it's a, the funny thing is that Holland was probably saying that. I, w- I would just love to imagine what words popped into his head 
And when he when what, he heard, oh shit, this dude really was there. <laughs> they called it up so much, and Holland is kind of nerdy, and they, I think, they became lifelong friends. They're my favorite buddy cop movie right now. I love them. They're you know, fun. This is cool. This is kind of like what we expected to see out of like Tyron Woodley and uh, uh, Sage Northcutt, mm-hmm. you know, after their little uh, dalliance and, and and friendship. But this is cool because these two actually fought, and they actually genuinely were having fun mm-hmm. while fighting each other and now they seem like they're super cool but um yeah i i guess yeah i i hope i hope neither one of these guys ever gets arrested for doing anything mm-hmm. dumb um i i just i just thought this was funny you know and in some in some weird way it's like okay this isn't something that's going to affect him in his future it's a super minor thing and uh, i guess i'm grateful for that instead of just like something horrible popping up you know yeah, and I'll say one thing about Stephen Thompson, because we have watched so many of our MMA idols really let us down. But I'll tell you one that hasn't let me down yet, and I've been interviewing him since his first fight in the UFC, and he's never changed. Now, I don't know him personally. I know him from interviewing him a few times. I think I've interviewed him four times. And he's been nice to me every time, but you know, they all are. But the one thing that I have noticed is that he's been static his whole career. He's never changed. He's always been a good guy. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't talk shit. He's never changed, no matter how famous he got. How many times he competed for the belt, what kind of high profile fights, what kind of cameras are on him. He never changes from the beginning to now. He's never changed. And that's been 11 years that he's been in the UFC. Mm. Damn, it's been that long already. Jesus Christ. 11 years. And actually, if I'm if I go back, it might be even coming up on 12. But he's been around that I let me just open it up but he's been around for quite some time and he's been the same just a constant all the time so i'm i'm kind of grateful for that because we at least have stephen thompson that we can look at and say that's a good dude yeah you know there's yeah. so few of them in the ufc so let me see here i'm i'm pulling up his wiki and we're going to find out his very first fight in the ufc which was UFC 143, I take it back. It's been, this coming February will be 11 years. So I was off by a few months, but it's been almost 11 years. In three months, it'll be, in two and a half months, it'll be 11 years. Wow. Dan Stitchin was his very first fight. Dan Stitchin, wow. He lost his second one to Matt Brown, and then he didn't lose again until Tyron Woodley. Yeah, I remember that Brown fight because that was... That was like the whole, you know, feeding the young uh, lion to the uh, old uh, basset hound. And, man, that old dog, shit. Matt Brown was, I think there was like three or four fights where they just kept feeding him prospects like Eric Silva. And And he just kept saying, oh, you know what? (laughs) Fuck you and your future. And that was weird because Matt Brown at the time was only 29. He wasn't even the old guy, but he's always seemed like the grizzled veteran since since the beginning pretty much because he's kind of um he's kind of surly you know 
Yeah, well, the thing is also the fact that he's a guy who I think he'd already been cut from the UFC at that point and came back, mm. and he was sort of underestimated right as he was catching this sort of upwind of, like, you know, being able to, um, you know, he, he, he'd, he'd turned a lot of things around and, like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm still getting better just as he was being counted out. For sure. Now, we are going to move into my favorite portion of the show, other notable moments from combat sports. And our first one, it's a doozy. Diego Pacheco had a fight with Adrian Luna this past weekend. And let me just tell you, this dude, the way he puts this other guy down, not once but twice in this little 28-second clip... And it, uh, Dan Canobio, I'm, I'm such a big fan of this guy. He's, um, he's a boxing journalist and he constantly puts out really good stuff. So if you get used to hearing that name, this is why, because a lot of the clips I'm pulling are coming from his feed, but Dan Canobio put the clip up and Victor, I got to get your take on it because you get to see two of the three knockdowns that occurred in that round, three in one round. Further, Diego Pacheco has had four fights this year, and he's put all four of them away. Mm, damn. Yeah. And if it's not a record, it's a great average. Good for him. Yeah. This is another another Pacheco having a banner week. Yes, indeed. Crazy. <laughs> What'd you think of it, though? Did you like it? I was impressed, man. Look, I'm not much of a boxing head, but when I see stuff like that, I can't help and be like, God damn, that was, that was smooth, man. That looked... Uh, as as Stuart Scott, who was uh, being celebrated over the weekend, as he would have said, as cool as the other side of the pillow, man. That was, that was. It, it, I don't want to say it was effortless. He certainly just made it look like it was, you know, just just regular textbook stuff. It was just another day at the office, you know. Like he just this is this is something that he's capable of on the regular. And he's got a good chin because before the first knockdown you can see luna land with his own a, a really short crisp hook of his own and it didn't even phase diego i mean that thing was just picture perfect face planted him in the first one so i i just uh i'm a big fan i love this guy can't wait to see him fight next nice now the the last one we're gonna look at actually came from bare knuckle fc 34 fight tv put up the hammer cam clip and Jared, wait, 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 wait. That's what they're calling it. Yes, they call it the Hammer Cam. I think that's kind of a cool. That's kind of a cool name. They should market it more. I like it. But they have the <sighs> Hammer Cam, and Jeremy Smith floored Leo Valdivia twice in the third round to get the TKO win. But the one that I picked, boy, oh boy, dang, got him in the got him in the bread basket. First with the right and then caught him with a left hook that put him away. Victor, what'd you make of this? That left hand was brutal, man. I, I just, there's something about seeing guys get, as soon as they're bringing their heads up, they get that one punch coming right at them that they mm. didn't see coming. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what I just, I mean, you feel bad for the guy getting hit, but at the same time, yikes. Um, I, you don't really see, when you see somebody knock somebody else out in bare knuckle, it's different. Yep. It's a different way. thing because you don't have – nothing is protecting your hand. And I – yeah, that, I, I don't know what that even says about um, 
I, I'm curious, like, damn, what happens if this was with gloves? Like, what kind of thing would be happening here? Does this guy, what, what is, what condition is his hand in after delivering that bomb on that dude's chin, their jaw? I just, uh, and if yeah, I, I was, guy, I was shocked. If you look at the guy in this clip, because I did not get to see the bare knuckle event, so I'm, I'm yeah. solely going off this clip. But if you look at the the guy that got dropped, he's already got a black eye from earlier in the fight. Mm-hmm. already yeah. been touched up pretty hard and i'm noticing too that both of them have the open knuckles like in bare knuckle you can actually have slight hand wrap across your knuckles to sort of protect them these two dudes both opted out of that and they are only wrapped to about mid-hand not any further but you can actually have a little bit across your fingers i believe yeah i've seen it um I, you know what, let me go back and make sure that I'm saying the right thing, but I'm but, almost positive that you can have like two layers of the wrap across the, 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 the upper part of your fingers. But that just brings it to my point where it just, that makes it even more terrifying. Right. That they chose not to, that they have it wide open, not only the hand, I wonder what the guy's face feels like with the one's hitting him around the eye and the can't be great cannot be great to be lumped up like that yeah i mean that's serious lumping Mm -hmm. i don't know i i have some respect for the guys that get in there and swing with their hands wide open man yeah could not be me yeah that's that's not the kind of life i want for myself or anyone i care for but and i but i respect it yes indeed so victor we're all done here Man, what am I going to do the, with the rest of my day? I don't know. Probably draw up the logistics and, and planning to see how we can set up a Glendale Fight Club 2 in the Midwest. You know, we, we start scouting. I'm sure, yeah, listen, you're, you've you been around this game for a long time. You're a resourceful woman. You know people in real estate. You can figure this out. I believe <laughs> Ally Aquinta. We need to get a hold of Ally Aquinta. I, does he do commercial? That's the guy I call. <laughs> Honestly, James Krause also is in real estate, so he could probably find his own gem and maybe put it in somebody else's name. Mm, If I'm James Krause and this thing doesn't shake out the way I want it to, I'm absolutely finding somebody else to put the the gem in the uh, in their name. Find another, you know, shadow coach or whatever. Man, <laughs> it's I just gonna be James I... with one of those glasses that have the big Groucho Marx nose and mustache. Exactly. It's just gonna be him going like, "Oh no, my name is James Drouse. <laughs> I don't know who this other person is. James we don't Mouse. do gambling here." Oh, my name is James Mouse. <laughs> James Mouse. That would be funny. He shows up with the Mickey Mouse ears to make the the gimmick even worse. Oh man. Mm-hmm. all right so on that note we are gonna wrap up the show do me a favor follow this guy man he's fucking awesome no stop oh stop you say that every time but i know you're sitting over there grinning from ear to ear no i really am not no you i hate too. everyone I hear it. I hear no it. I, hear I hate them don't follow me please stay away leave me alone follow him okay he's fine at, he's at <laughs> vic m rodriguez on twitter and he's at victor sinister rodriguez on the instagram so if you're on the gram follow him he's got a lot of good food pictures i mean when they say food porn it really is food porn there's some there's some pictures over there where i want to put a little sheet over the duck you know his little ass is all hanging out all crispy brown come on Mm. 
Anyways, yeah, that dog was good. Follow him on the gram, Victor Sinister Rodriguez. Follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander and over on SB Nation's field goal site where he is the managing editor. Follow Victor and I on Bloody Elbow, where we work. That's bloodyelbow.com. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can find out where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow present shows. So, until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.